You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. On this episode, we'll learn about safety tips for traveling while pregnant from Dr. Katie Antoni, just in time for spring break season. Dr. Antoni is also a nationally known Zika virus researcher. We discussed why pregnant travelers should be cautious about visiting locations where Zika virus is present, and why Zika is a concern for people who are pregnant or planning to become pregnant. I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Katie Antoni this morning. Dr. Antoni is a maternal fetal medicine specialist in our Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and we're going to talk about traveling while pregnant. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I was thinking about this topic because we're kind of approaching spring break season. Um, I know in Wisconsin, we're in the middle of a cold and brutal winter. And it's people, true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it has been kind of awful. People are starting to think about going somewhere warmer and a little bit nicer. And I remember in the last few years, Zika virus was a concern for mm-hmm. people who are pregnant or thinking of becoming pregnant um, who might be looking at warmer climates to get away. So I wanted to learn from you, what is Zika virus and why is it a concern for people who are pregnant? Exactly. So um, Zika virus is, its technical term is called an arbovirus, which means it's a virus which classically is thought of as being one that needs a mosquito or some kind of vector to be transmitted from person to person. Um, Other examples of viruses like this are malaria, where you can really only get it when a mosquito bites someone who has malaria and then they go bite another person. However, Zika virus, we also know, can be transmitted other ways. It can be transmitted sexually, it can be transmitted by blood transfusions, or also from mother to child. And that's actually the reason why Zika virus has come into attention, you know, in the last few years, is we found when Zika virus came to a whole new population, meaning South America and initially Brazil, um, that when it is vertically transmitted from mother to child, it can cause a lot of anomalies in the baby, um, which can be serious and life-threatening. What does vertically transmitted mean? Exactly. So vertically transmitted means it's an infection that goes from the mother to the child while the child is in the womb. There are a few other infections that can do that as well. One example that we sometimes may have heard of um, is a few decades ago, rubella was discovered to do that, for example. How much of a concern is Zika today? So Zika is still a concern. Um, there is still active transmission of Zika virus in several countries in um, in Central America, South America, and also the Caribbean, and also to some degree worldwide. However, the degree to which that active transmission is really active is sort of decreasing a little bit. Um, And the reason for that is because a lot of the population there has now been exposed. You know, from 2015, 2016, 17, and now even 18, you know, during that time, the majority of the population has been exposed, which means that they are not immune to Zika virus. And so there are less people who are susceptible to getting Zika virus and so less, you know, ability to kind of spread it around. So you said it can transmit from mother to child if the mother's pregnant, um, mm-hmm. so it can cross the placenta, I guess? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens if it does? Why is that so worrisome? Right. So um, if the Zika virus transmits from mother to child across the placenta, it can inter um, interfere with the baby's parts as it's forming. Specifically, what was big in the news is it can prevent parts of the brain from forming properly, um, which sometimes can mean that the head is overall too small. That's that term that you probably 
I saw in the news called microcephaly, um, where the head is very small, and you saw pictures of those babies who, you know, maybe didn't have much skull development sort of above the level of their eyes. That's sort of the most profound, you know, finding that that can be seen. But there can be some that findings that are more subtle, where um, some parts of the brain, for example, the one that controls balance um, or other structures just aren't formed properly. Um, it can also cause anomalies in development of the eyes and ears. Um, it can also kind of affect the way babies move. And as these children are, you know, becoming toddlers, we're finding um, that there can be even more kind of outcomes. What are your recommendations for traveling to areas of the world where Zika is present? Right. And so it's not in the news as much, but um, Zika transmission is still real. And so um, when you, you know, the blanket recommendation is that if a pregnant woman wants to travel to an area that has active ongoing transmission of Zika virus, it's recommended that you not go, i.e. not travel there. If travel is required for some reason, for example, a family emergency or um, something comes up, if travel to an area with transmission of Zika virus is necessary, we would recommend that um, the woman takes all precautions to avoid mosquito bites. That um, includes wearing loose-fitting clothing, wearing mosquito repellents, um, even during the daytime, because these mosquitoes are actually active during the daytime. And uh, if, uh, depending on where you're staying, um, staying in somewhere that has screened windows or air conditioning or things like that, using mosquito tents if necessary. How can someone who's thinking about travel find out where Zika is actively transmitted right now? Where is there somewhere we can look to see if there are travel recommendations or? Yeah, great question. Um, so the CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, has a really great website. Um, you can just type into any search engine, you know, something like areas with Zika, um, and then type in CDC, and or where is Zika now with CDC, and that'll take you right to the website that shows a world map with every country, and you can also click on a particular country to see if there's active transmission of Zika virus right now. And it has zoom in and zoom out capabilities, you know, and you can drag it around and you can see exactly, exactly where Zika virus is right now. Some um, areas have also been declared not exactly Zika-free, but um, when they were monitoring very closely, they didn't see continuing transmission, you know. And so at a particular point, some areas, if they are able to more or less eradicate the mosquitoes that have Zika um, and the population doesn't have Zika anymore, they've been able to sort of um, indicate that Zika transmission is no longer active in that area. And so there are some islands in the Caribbean that have been able to, you know, demonstrate that they don't have ongoing transmission of Zika virus. Um, and there are also some islands in um on the Pacific side of things as well. So in addition to the map of where Zika is, you can also see where it isn't and plan a trip accordingly. Very helpful. Yeah. What are some of the symptoms of a possible Zika infection? Yes, great question. So honestly, the majority of um, people who get a Zika virus infection are asymptomatic, um, somewhere in the range of 80% or four out of five people who get this infection never knew they had it. Um, and even if you never knew you had it, um, the infection itself can still transmit to, you know, a developing fetus. Um, and so if you're a pregnant woman traveled to an area, you know, that has active transmission of Zika virus, not having symptoms doesn't entirely mean you're out of the woods. In the patients who do have symptoms, the 20% or one out of five people who do have symptoms, um, those symptoms would be things like fevers, kind of a rash, which is kind of a reddish rash, kind of all over the body. There can be red eyes, which is called conjunctivitis. There can be swollen lymph nodes um, or lymphadenopathy. Um, and sometimes there's body aches. So it's kind of overall kind of similar to a flu with a, with a rash type presentation. What about people who are thinking of becoming pregnant? 
Uh, should they wait after traveling to an area with Zika virus? And does it matter if the male or the female partner was the one who traveled? It does. So if the um, couple either traveled together um, or if the man was the only one who traveled, it's recommended to wait three months after either symptom onset for the man or the last potential date of exposure to Zika virus or the time of um, of symptom onset. So essentially, the bottom line is um, if a woman travels, it's at least two months. Um, if the man travels, it's at least three months. Are there other viruses besides Zika um, that pregnant people should be aware of before traveling? So various destinations have um, viruses that can be, you know, risky to anyone, but some of those infections can be um, specifically risky to pregnant women. One example is malaria. Um, malaria is risky to anyone who travels to an area that has transmission of malaria. Um, but for pregnant women, it actually seems to kind of, if when it gets into the placenta, it seems like it can't be eradicated quite as well. And so um, pregnant women who get malaria get sicker than um, people who aren't pregnant who get malaria. So they have a higher risk of developing serious complications, the types of things that need ICU stay, or they can also um, occasionally be deadly. Oh, other infections that women should be aware of are to avoid areas that also have yellow fever um, or hepatitis E. Women who are pregnant should also um, avoid areas that have active um, severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS. Are there uh, symptoms that a person could experience during or after travel that you would encourage them to go see their doctor about, especially a pregnant woman, something that they mm -hmm. would maybe bring home with them that you'd think, oh, you should maybe check in with your OBGYN? Right. Um, obvious things that would be worrisome would be things like fevers, rashes, any symptoms of Zika virus should seek care for. Um, areas that have Zika virus also can have dengue, you know, and so having a fever, you know, could also signify that something else is going on. And so if this occurs after travel, certainly go see a provider. Common travel illnesses also include things like diarrhea. And depending on where the travel is, traveler's diarrhea can be something that's not particularly risky in pregnancy, but um, there are also certain bugs that can cause fever and diarrhea that can be risky for the pregnancy as well. For example, listeria. And that's known to um, you know, exist in foods here in the United States as well, but can also, you know, be seen in soft cheeses or other foods that may be more common in parts of Europe or other parts of the world. After travel, also, if um, anyone notices any signs of a, like a deep venous blood clot, um, and what those are, are those are blood clots that can form within the blood vessels themselves. So not like blood clots that are passing out of the body, but they're forming within the body. And um, those can be quite dangerous. One big risk factor for those occurring is being pregnant or being immobile for a long period of time, as can occur when women sit on an airplane, for example, for six or eight hours, you know, going on a long trip. And so if women notice symptoms of that, which include things like pain, they're often in an extremity, classically the legs, pain in the leg, tenderness in that area, redness, um, swelling, um, the area being sore, anything like that, certainly go and see a doctor um, for that because it could be a blood clot that formed within one of the blood vessels. And those can also dislodge and actually go to the lungs. And that can be extremely dangerous and life-threatening because if there's a blood clot that goes to the vessels in the lungs, it can prevent blood from getting to the lungs and being oxygenated. Symptoms of that are, you know, classically some kind of chest pain, cough, sometimes blood in the cough, not always, shortness of breath, things like that. So certainly see a doctor right away if any of those things happen. 
So beyond specific viruses that might be, or illnesses that might be present in specific locations, what do pregnant people need to keep in mind for safe travel? That's a great question. The majority of travel is safe and fine to do, but one must always bear in mind that everything can have some degree of risk. You know, even riding in your automobile to and from work can have a certain risk of being in a collision. And so nothing is completely risk-free, but um, travel is generally okay. Things to bear in mind are think about not only infections at the destination, but perhaps medical resources at the destination. Um, if a pregnant woman has particular medical problems or even pregnancy-related problems, um, being remote from medical care could in, in and of itself introduce complications. And so, for example, if anything were to happen, if she were to start contracting or having problems, if she's several hours or days you know, from the nearest hospital, that can mean that complications can arise while she's seeking medical care. Other things that are important to do are be sure to mention the travel to uh, the OB provider. A pregnant woman should bring up any kind of travel plans with her OB provider, and the OB provider can talk about the destination, see if there's anything particularly risky, you know, during travel to or from the destination or at the destination itself. And if appropriate, sometimes the OB provider may recommend um, that the pregnant woman see a specialist in a travel clinic. Specialists in the travel clinic um, can talk about destination-specific um, risks and also can go through uh, any whether any vaccines are indicated or any kind of other preventive medications would be indicated. Are there vaccines that are safe or not safe to get during pregnancy? Essentially, live vaccines are not safe to receive. So things okay. like MMR, which is the measles, mumps, rubella mm -hmm. vaccine, and there's not good um, data on like the Japanese encephalitis vaccine, um, the BCG, which is the TB vaccine. It's not commonly used in this country, but that okay. can't be given. Controversial whether or not yellow fever vaccine. Um, should be given. Other vaccines that are safe to give during pregnancy are um, the flu vaccine, so we recommend that every season for anyone who's pregnant. Tdap, we recommend every pregnancy, um, and that's the um, one, the component of that, the pertussis component of that. The reason we give that every pregnancy is to kind of cause an immune surge to actually allow that to cross the placenta and protect the baby after it's born, um, with the goal of protecting it for a few months until it's old enough to receive its own pertussis vaccine. And other vaccines that are travel-related are, you know, hepatitis A, that can be given during pregnancy, and there are a few others as well. What about uh, different activities you might be planning to do while traveling? Is it worth discussing some of the excursions or activities you have planned with your doctor? Definitely worth talking about that with the doctor. For example, if you're planning to go on a cruise ship, most cruise ships are very safe, but um, there are also known to be for example, norovirus um, outbreaks commonly on cruise ships. Um, and that is a virus that can cause you know, acute um, gastrointestinal upset, vomiting, diarrhea, things like that. Obviously, it doesn't happen on every cruise, you know, but those are famously things that are seen on cruise ships. And so that's worth talking about. Some activities um, aren't necessarily you know, safe during pregnancy, and it may also depend on how far along you are. Skiing, for example, you know, if someone were to get into a ski accident or fall down, that can cause pregnancy complications. Um, any kind of trauma that happens during pregnancy can result in the placenta separating away from the wall of the uterus, which is called an abruption, which can be dangerous for mom and baby. Also, while skiing, your center of balance may be a little bit different. And so even if you were an avid skier every year until this year, you're going out and um, you, you just may be more prone to fall because you haven't done that in a while. Activities such as golfing are generally safe. Activities such as scuba um, are not recommended to be done during pregnancy. The reason for that is because when you're using the air tank, some of those nitrogen bubbles can get into your airstream. And um, 
that's not thought to be safe during pregnancy in general. So um, scuba is off. Other things are um, high altitude. After a certain point in pregnancy, it's not recommended that women travel to high altitude, um, especially if they don't live there in general because their body hasn't been adapted to that. And uh, women with particular medical problems may also not be able to go to higher altitude in general. The reason for that is be, and it's different than in an airplane because an airplane is pressurized. So you get the oxygen, everything like that. If you're on a mountain, the oxygen pressure is lower. And so you're not breathing in as much oxygen and that can compromise the baby. Speaking of airplanes then, mm -hmm. um, so it can be a long time to sit still. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do pregnant people need to keep in mind for either long car rides or long plane rides mm -hmm. for their comfort and safety? As I mentioned previously, um, being pregnant is a risk factor for getting blood clots. That's partly because the body is trying to kind of prepare for childbirth and reduce the likelihood of historically women commonly would bleed quite significantly when they had babies um, to the point that they could even die. During pregnancy, the body kind of counteracts that by making the blood a little bit um, more likely to clot. However, when you add to that prolonged immobility, um, that increased likelihood of clotting can be harmful. Um, and so typically for any car rides um, or airplane travel, we recommend getting up and ambulating about every one to two hours. Um, and also staying very well hydrated, making sure that you're not dehydrating yourself. And um, other things that can be helpful are wearing compression stockings, um, such as um, there, one brand is called Ted Hose. There are other brands available, which are these very tight stockings that you wear on your legs, which can slightly reduce the risk of blood clots. Um, and you may also talk to your doctor to see about whether they think any kind of blood thinner or aspirin or something would be appropriate for you. Not necessarily appropriate for everyone, but for selected patients maybe something to consider during travel. What about um, scans and security on your way through an airport? Mm -hmm. Are those, how safe are those when you're pregnant? Honestly, the newer scans, the one where you stand there with your hands up and it kind of rotates around, um, that does use some radiation, but it's actually thought to be, I mean, the data shows that it's less radiation than you experience during the flight itself. Um, whenever you go up in the airplane, because you're at higher altitude with lower oxygen around, you get um, some degree of what's called kind of cosmic radiation from the sun, space, things like that. Um, and it's more than you'd experience on the ground. And so typically what is quoted is that the additional radiation from that scan is less than what is experienced during the flight. However, honestly, most um, TSA agents don't mind, you know, if you skip that and you choose to do the pat down or the wand. Um, and so I've found, you know, with my patients and also myself that um, TSA agents are very accommodating um, when you're pregnant or for any reason, if you don't want to go through there, you know, it just means usually that they need to look through your baggage a little bit more and um, pat you down if you're willing to accept that and then um, do a wand um, kind of metal search. You may have to build in slightly more time for that um, because occasionally they have to um, call over a female agent to do the pat down. And that can sometimes cause a five to 10 minute delay, but that's very rare for it to take quite that long. That's good to know. Yeah. Is there any point in pregnancy after which someone like shouldn't travel? That may depend a little bit on the particular patient. Airlines have restrictions and you may want to check with your particular carrier, you know, prior to traveling um, so that you can be sure that you can get on that flight and back home. 
In the United States, typically what most websites say is somewhere around 36 weeks, but you'll want to check with the particular airline. And for international travel, it varies. Some airlines say somewhere around 28 to 30 weeks, but you'll want to check with the particular airline as well. When you travel in order to ensure that the airline knows how pregnant you are, you'll probably want a letter from your provider, you know, saying that, you know, Miss Smith is, um, you know, this far pregnant. I deem that it is safe for her to fly to this destination and back on this date. You know, some kind of letter of introduction showing, saying how far along you are and things like that so that the airline knows that they can let you on there. They very rarely request it, but if they do, it's nice to have. That's also a nice opportunity to get your prenatal records and any other relevant information from your provider um, in case anything arises while you're at your destination. Then you have all the relevant um, information about your pregnancy with you. If you have particular medical conditions um, or pregnancy complications, your provider may talk to you about not traveling after a certain point for those reasons. Because you know, travel may be risky if you have, for example, some kind of placental you know, problem or um, if you're at risk for preterm birth or things like that. Is that because those problems are more likely to be problems while you're traveling or because it means you'll be far away from your usual medical provider? Right. That's a great question. There are certain medical conditions that can be more problematic while flying. Those are mostly things like lung problems or certain heart problems where kind of if there's any kind of change in the oxygen pressure, it would be a problem. Most of those, most of the Restrictions that we talk about for travel during pregnancy are mostly related to being away from your provider. For example, if you have had preterm contractions, you've gone into preterm labor, your cervix is dilated, and now you want to travel to another part of the country or part of the world or, you know, even, you know, a whole other part of the state very far away, if you were to progress in your preterm labor, that could mean that you are very remote, you know, from a provider who'd be able to provide appropriate care for both you or if your baby were to be born for a preterm baby. And so that's what a lot of the restrictions are about. Or, for example, if your placenta is over your cervix, which is called a placenta previa, there's a risk for bleeding. So if you're far away from some some place that's able to provide medical care that has a blood bank, if you were to start bleeding, that could result in complications, you know, just because you're not near a doctor. Are there any conditions or complications that would lead you to recommend against traveling long distances for your patients? There are some. Um, They're pretty rare, but there are a few reasons that we'd say you probably shouldn't travel or at least seriously consider not traveling. Absolute reasons to not travel are um, if you're in active labor or an active preterm labor. Um, The only traveling you should be doing in that situation would be getting to the hospital or the nearest hospital so that Maybe you can get an ambulance transport to a different hospital or something, depending on how far along you are. If you have a history of, you know, the cervix opening up, you know, um, without contractions, things like that, some providers recommend not traveling in that situation, um, even if it was in a prior pregnancy. If the baby's, if the water has broken, most women in that situation are either delivering or if not, um, are usually in the hospital and so can't really travel anyway. When the placenta is separating away from the wall of the uterus or there's any kind of unstable situation like active bleeding or things like that, or if someone is miscarrying or having um, what's called an ectopic pregnancy, a pregnancy outside the uterus, that's at risk of rupturing at any point, and so that can be dangerous to travel as well. Um, Other conditions where we would consider saying, you know, don't travel, but it would depend on kind of the overall situation are things such as the placenta previa that I talked to you about before, where the placenta is kind of right over the cervix because of the risk of bleeding. And it may depend on where exactly the travel is to or, 
you know, what it's for. If you're planning to go somewhere one hour away, which is also a metropolitan area, for example, it may be safe to go there, but it, you know, maybe not somewhere across town or, I mean, across um, the country or in another country. If someone is at risk for, you know, a recurrent preterm delivery, it may also depend on where the travel is to. Having a surclage in place is typically thought of as um, a reason to avoid travel. And what a surclage is, is for women who've had a prior preterm birth who get a stitch in the cervix, just because if they were to go into preterm labor, that stitch would need to be cut. And so if someone is traveling, it would have to be ideally to somewhere where there's a hospital nearby that would be able to address that if anything were to happen. And in some cases, you know, we say avoid travel with, you know, twins or pregnancy complications like high blood pressure or diabetes or things like that. But in some cases, women with twins actually have to travel a long distance because some of the complications of twin pregnancies require surgery on the babies, which can only be done at certain centers. And in those cases, we know travel is known to be safe, but it, it, it really depends on kind of overall what's going on. So be sure to talk about travel with your provider, um, and they'll know the specifics of your given case um, and kind of talk about risks, benefits, you know, alternatives to travel and whether it's appropriate for you. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Yes, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. This is a fairly common condition affecting around 1 in 10 women, and yet it often takes patients several years to be diagnosed. On the next Women's Health Cast, I'll talk to Dr. Kara King about what causes endometriosis, common symptoms, and some treatment options. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to the Women's Health Cast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you would like to learn more about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>